Why should I follow God? It's the question we're asking in the midst of this series, trying to figure out why we should follow God. Maybe you're exploring faith for the first time, trying to figure out what this looks like, trying it on for size, and trying to understand how it works. You're asking the question, why should I do this? What's this all about? Or maybe you've been at this for a long time, but things have changed in your life. Something's happened that's made life different for you, and so some of the answers to that question, why should I follow God, are not as satisfactory as they once were. You need some new answers. You need some new assurance to your faith. And so you're asking the question, why? Well, we're, we're thinking about that in the series that we're calling Why. And last week, Zach opened this series up and sort of laid out his story in such a great way. And I think that that was helpful to a lot of us. And, and his answer was, God likes me and wants to be my friend. That's a powerful answer to the question, why? But it's not all that scripture shares with us. So today I want us to maybe take this a step further as we're going to do throughout this series. And let me begin by saying, you know what, my experience is really different from Zach's. Now, Zach talked about his family was sort of like submarine Christians. Remember, they come up for air on Christmas, and then they go under and come up again on Easter and go back under. Well, my family was like if the church was open, we were there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If they did something else, we showed up for that too, okay? We were always there. And in fact, I went to a Christian school that was sponsored by the group of churches that we were a part of, and so I got it Monday through Friday. My only day off was Saturday. Other than that, we had church just about every day. Bible class every day. Chapel every day. Now, with that came some awesome blessings. Okay, there was lots of opportunity for worship, and there was lots of opportunity for learning, and so I learned a ton even before I got to be an adult, which has just served me in great ways. So that was great. Here's one of the things that was a struggle in the midst of that. We learned a lot of answers to the question, how do I follow God? Okay? We learned lots of rules and regulations. We learned the stuff you got to believe, the stuff you shouldn't believe. All that stuff was presented to us over and over again. Now again, that was good because I learned what life should look like. And the things that I should be involved in, the things that I should stay away from. But what we didn't answer was the question that we're dealing with in this series. What we didn't answer was the question of why. What's the motivation for doing this? And so what that led us to, and I think led me to, was a lot of, man, there's a lot going on here. Why should I do this? And maybe a little bit of guilt because I wasn't doing everything I was supposed to do and I wasn't staying away from everything I was supposed to stay away from and I was questioning a lot of the belief. It's a little bit like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, quit eating everything you like to eat. Doctor ever told you that, right? Okay, if you like it, you probably shouldn't be eating it, okay? Here's the problem. If they don't tell you why, you're not going to do it. If they don't tell you your life's going to be longer if you do this, and the life that you live, you're going to be healthier, you're going to be able to do more, there's the motivation. If we don't we deal with the why question, we're never going to listen to the how question. And we didn't hear a lot about the why question growing up. And so if you don't hear the why... You may not listen to the how. Now, I think the assumption was we knew why, right? I mean, you know, you're in church, so you should know why you follow Jesus. And if staying out of hell isn't motivation enough, what else can we do for you? But, 
But the truth is, I think Scripture speaks more deeply to this why question than just that. I think there are more answers to that, and that's really what we're exploring in this series. And if we don't deal with the why question, we really leave people wondering, why should I do this? Why should it make a difference in my life? And so I think it's good for us as the church to keep answering this question, to keep coming back to it, because there are always people exploring faith, and we're always dealing with change in our lives and have to re-answer this same question. Now, today I want us to get at a second answer to the question, and I want us to do that by studying what may be the best-known verse in the whole Bible. Okay, If it's not the best-known, it's in the top two or three. But it's very familiar to us, and it comes in John chapter 3. And just saying that, for some of you, you know exactly where I'm going. In fact, you're quoting the verse in your head after I said that. In John chapter 3, we have Jesus interacting with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has come to Jesus, he's a leader, and he's taking some first steps of faith in Jesus, and he's exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and he has questions and concerns, he's not trying to trap Jesus, but really find out more about this. And so Jesus lays out a bit of his mission, and that brings us down to verse 15. Now, one of the interesting things about the book of John is, sometimes John gives us a quotation from Jesus and then he begins to give commentary, and we're not always sure where the one ends and the other begins. Because in ancient Greek, which is the language John wrote in, you had no, um, you had no punctuation, okay? There's no commas, periods, no quotation marks. Now, if we want to put a quote, okay, if we want to say this is what the person said and we're writing this down, we just put quotation marks around it, easy, okay? But in Greek, you didn't have that. And so you have to take it from the context. Sometimes that's hard to do, and this is one of those spots. And so in some of your Bibles, especially if they're like red-letter Bibles, words of Jesus in red, verse 16 is red. They think it's a quotation from Jesus. In others, it's black. Maybe it's not a quotation from Jesus. Here's what I know. <clears throat> whether it was Jesus who said these words, or whether it was John who was one of Jesus' apostles, was with him for three years, heard all of his teaching, under the guidance of God's Spirit, wrote these words down as a response to what Jesus said. Either way, what I know is God wants us to hear these words that we find in John chapter 3, verse 16. Now, because it's such a well-known passage, we've heard it so many times, maybe have it memorized, I want to read it from a different translation today, just so the words are a little bit fresh for us today. It's, this is from the Kingdom New Testament, translated by N.T. Wright, one of the great Bible scholars of today. This is how he says it, okay? John 3.16. This, you see, is how much God loved the world. Enough to give his only special son, so that everyone who believes in him should not be lost, but share in the life of God's new The reason this verse is so well known, so often quoted, so often memorized, is because it's hard to find a place to go in Scripture and see where the mission of Jesus, where really the whole message of Scripture <clears throat> is encapsulated in one verse like it is in John 3.16. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now the verse says, for God so loved the world. The world there is in Greek, cosmos, which looks a whole lot like our word, cosmos, and can mean just that. 
all that was ever created, the whole universe, okay? Or it can mean the world. Now remember, they didn't think in scientific terms exactly like we do, but sort of look around, this is all you see, the world. Or it could mean people. It could even mean the people that oppose Jesus. I don't think that's what's going on here, but but what I do know is that sometimes John uses a word and has more than one meaning in mind. And so he may mean all of creation and all of us. But what he's saying is that God loved the world, what he created so much that he sent his son. Now, how did he send his son? Well, part of that is sort of the story that we just came through the story of Christmas, <clears throat> Jesus taking on human form, Jesus being with us, he gave him to us to live among us. But even more than that, after we've celebrated Christmas, we look forward to Easter. And we think about the fact that God gave his son on a cross. And he died this death for our sins. God's love was so powerful, so amazing, that he allowed his son to die on a cross for our sins. And the truth is, he did it even when we were opposed to him. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. And I think Paul's talking about us as much as those Romans that he was writing to in his day. God knew every single one of us would exist, and God knew that every single one of us would be sinners. We know it ourselves. We know what we're, we've done. We're well aware of the fact that we're sinners. And what did God do knowing that we would commit those sins? He sent his son, and he died for us. He didn't wait till we got it all worked out, didn't wait till we quit sinning, didn't wait till we got our lives fixed and straightened out. God just sent Jesus in the middle of our sin and he gave himself for us. That's the kind of God that we're worshiping. That's the kind of God that's described in John 3.16. It's the message that we need to get from this passage, which is simple but powerful. No one loves you like God loves you. No one loves you like God loves you. You know, your, your spouse, I hope, loves you in a powerful way. Your parents loved or love you now. Your children may love you. Your friends may love you. Your pastor loves you. The elders of the church love you. But no one loves you like God loves you. No one's been willing to give to you like God has been willing to give to you. And that's a truth that that I think Christians have been exploring since Jesus died on the cross. Since people have come to faith in Jesus, we've been trying to figure out what this looks like, and we express it in lots of ways. In fact, one of the best ways that we do that is through poetry and through song. So our, our worship band is going to come forward. Let me ask them to make their way forward. You know, we've been doing this even through the Old Testament. We go back to the book of Psalms, and what did these early writers who loved God and wanted to express their love for God and God's love for them they wrote poetry, they wrote songs, and they sang those songs in their worship, in the synagogue and in the temple. Now, we've tried to do the same thing. And I think sometimes song expresses this more powerfully than we just try to write out, okay, this is how God loved us. Somehow, music 
makes it even more powerful. So today I'd like us to sing a couple of songs. We're going to sing one first, and then I'm going to talk a little bit, and then the other one. But, but let's sing a song. I think you're going to be familiar with this one. This is How He Loves. And, and in your bulletin, what I'd like for you to do is take that out. There's a place for sermon notes. Maybe you use that, maybe you don't. I don't grade them afterwards, so it's either whatever you want to do. But today I'd like you to take it out. If you've got a pen or a pencil, as you listen to the song, what do you learn about God's love? I encourage you to sing as we go through it, but what do you learn about God's love today and how powerful it is? Let's sing.
Maybe that helped you think about God's love in a new way. That opening line about God's love being a hurricane and I'm a tree, it's overwhelming, right? I mean, there are some of those moments when we get a glimpse of what God's love is and how powerful it is, how big it is, and how small we are. But God's love is big enough for all of the cosmos, all of humanity. That's the kind of God who loves us, and he loves you like no one else loves you. Now, the second song that I want us to sing is, it takes this in a little different direction. It may be a direction that challenges some of us to think about God's love in a really different way. Let's sing Fierce this morning.
You know, first time I heard that song, I sort of reacted against it. There was, there was a lot of pushback for me. I didn't want to think about God's love as fierce. That's not an image that somehow worked for my understanding of the God that I saw in Scripture. And yet, I think when you begin to look at Scripture and hear how God is described in the Psalms and certainly in prophecy, sometimes we see a fierce God. And if that bothers you, there's a video I'd like you to watch because I think it can help us understand what this looks like in our lives. And, and as you watch this video, I'm sort of giving you the first five seconds or eight maybe for what I want you to see, but I'm giving you the rest to put your mind at ease, okay? Let's watch this. Most of you wouldn't be able to relax until you knew little Cub was safe, right? Okay. But the, the beginning is what I want you to note, because how would you like to be standing between that polar bear Cub and his mother when she comes charging toward the water? Like nobody, right? I mean, there's no way you're going to get in the middle of that. And that's the way God's love is fierce. Because when, when we're beaten down, when we're hurting, when we're in danger, that's God. When we are threatened, that's an image of God. He is fierce in his love and protection of us. No one loves you like God loves you. In that verse that we read, we're, we're left with a response. John records this, and he, he says, you know, it's up to you to believe. We've got to make a choice. Are we going to put our trust in God, this God who loves us like no one else does? Are we going to repent of our sins, which is just, hey, my life's going in the wrong direction, and God, I need your help to turn it around. I want to be different. Are we going to respond in baptism and allow ourselves to be given forgiveness and new life? It's up to us. God's not going to force us to love him. You know, we can choose to love lots of stuff in our world that's never going to love us back. We love our sports teams and our cars and our houses and our stuff and our jobs, and they never love us back. God's not going to force us to love him back, but, but the reward for loving God, having this God who has given so much for us on our side, is overwhelming. Today I want us to finish with one more song. And it, it's an invitation. If you want to come talk to me about where you are in this journey and respond to a God who loves you, that would be awesome. I'd love to talk with you. But, but even more than that today, I'd like for this song, and maybe it's familiar to you, maybe it's not. It really is a response to God's love. Let's let it be our response to God's love. Let's stand together and sing.